Welcome to Rose Creek Community Center. I'm Bo Henderson, and you're listening to the Retirement Resource. And we have quite a show today. We're going to be talking about that next step after retirement. For a lot of people, I've had it come up. I've had a lot of questions. Could it be starting your own business or running your own business? And I'm really excited today. We're going to be talking to Leslie Cuban of FranNet about, is it possible that a franchise might be right for your retirement? We have other topics, why we should actually consider celebrating your 100th birthday now and how we could possibly save $300 a month with the economy and the environment we're in today. Again, I'm Bo Henderson. You're listening to The Retirement Resource. And joining me at Rose Creek Community Center is none other than the man that knows the community center. He's kind of my my ear to the ground, my... <laughs> Your guy on the inside. Yeah, that's, that's me. Right. It's, that's it's me. Carl. What's going on, Carl? Uh, nothing much, Bo. It's uh, glad to be back. I would like to say I'd like to celebrate my third time now on the show. Um, you're Number talk- three. Yeah, you're talking about like great jobs. This is, uh, you know, we're getting up to the record for the longest that I've held the job other than my 12 years here at the community center. So three weeks in the record. I like it. Yeah. I yeah. appreciate the commitment. Yeah. I'm, I'm just super happy to be here and, you know, glad that Art let me back in the building. I appreciate you letting him tell his jokes because it's kind of calmed him down. We've got some, you know, bike controversy. But other than that, I think it's uh, it's pretty good. Bike controversy? What's going on? Well, he, he keeps on uh, giving me grief about where to park my bike. Your motorcycle. No, 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 my bicycle. <laughs> okay, well, now, well, I, how do you have problems parking your bike? Well, I want to, like, just put it in the spot, like, because we don't have a bike rack, and he doesn't want me to park it in a car spot, so then I, like, tie it to the side of a, a tree, and so I was just curious, how long do you think the show's going to go today? How long? Yeah, I mean, we, we try to keep it under an hour. Okay, I, I might have to dip out a little early, because he told me I had an hour, or else he's going to have my bike towed. I don't even understand. Yeah, I don't well, even, how do you tow a bike? Well, anyway, I, let's keep moving. Yeah, yeah. So what did you think about that? I'm really excited today to talk with Leslie Cuban in our interview segment just a little bit of this idea of maybe a business. You know, we talk a lot in retirement about, yeah, there's financial reasons we might want some work or, or a job after the career, but there's also, you know, um, maybe it's it's to have purpose. Maybe it's to have meaning. Maybe it's to be relevant. Maybe it's to make a contribution in our community. So I'm excited to talk about this and maybe, hey, give us some clues to do something you really love. Yeah, I mean, it makes me think, you know, one of the things we talked about is I've had quite a few jobs. Some of them I really loved. It actually reminded me of the time. I don't know if you and I have uh, talked about this yet. I worked as a plus-size swimsuit salesman. I don't even understand where to start, but okay, uh, a plus-size swimsuit salesman. Yeah, in, in the men's department. Okay, so let me get this straight. You help plus-size men find their swimsuits. I didn't didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, well, I mean, back in the days of, like, larger department stores, I was just a customer one day walking through the store, and uh, I was, was, you know, as a plus-size man myself, I was giving some advice to my fellow customers, and one of the uh, sales managers was like, you sold more bathing suits today than anybody else. Would you like to have a job here? And I... For legal reasons, I can't name the name of the store. Well, okay. So that first amazes me that there's enough demand for a plus size uh, swimsuit department in and of itself. Yeah. I mean, these were the days of like the department store where you had your own sections and you'd you know, go up on an elevator and be like, oh, second floor, you know, uh, evening wear and third floor swimwear. And so I worked on the swimwear department for men in the plus size area. 
What was your favorite part about that job? You know, it's just being around people. That's always been my favorite thing. Sometimes I'm not, you know, like we talked about the M&Ms thing. Maybe I'm not the uh, the the leader on the floor, kind of like with the yoga. I'm the backup instructor, mm-hmm. uh, but I just like to be around the people. Same thing with the uh, the men's swimsuit stuff. I just like to talk to the people who are in the store. Well, you know, I think about swimsuits and you're talking about, it was a plus size department. So I, I can see that being a sensitive issue. Is there things you're able to do to help people like really feel good about themselves or, or maybe, hey, find the right swimsuit? Man, hey, with you, the baggy board shorts look good. Well, this was even before the board shorts. I mean, these were the days of like the the one singlet kind of thing where it was like a whole, it's like a coverall for everybody. And it, it was How long either, ago was this? It was a couple of years, but it was either that or like, you know, it had some European influence. So there was the Speedo, um, which was super popular amongst our, our more European clients. Speedo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's just created a visual that makes me say, as interesting as that is, it's time for In the News. So one of the first things I wanted to talk about is we got to pay attention to the economy we're in now, the environment we're in now. And one of the things I'm getting a lot of questions coming about, and Carl, you were sharing a story that you knew somebody or having a conversation recently about interest rates. Yeah. Yeah. Our, you know, the... I live in the uh, the in-law suite, and the person who owns the house is uh, doing a refi. So they're able to refi. And I just recently, we had some clients come in. They were able to refi a 30-year mortgage for 2.875%. Yeah, I mean, which is amazing because they're saving, I mean, you're telling me a couple hundred bucks? Now, on average, I think, I believe the, the number I saw that 19 million people could potentially save up to $300 a month by refinancing. Now, hold on. So, could I refinance my mother-in-law suite and save $300? Because I'm spending about $525 right now. So, if I could save $300. Carl. Yeah. You're renting. That's different. Okay. So, but what if I just bought the mother-in-law suite from the people who own the house? You're you're confusing the issue. Well, I'm just generally confused. But I thought maybe if I could refi the mother-in-law suite, I could you know, get not have to have the other two jobs. How about this? Your landlord could potentially refi, save $300, and maybe give you a little rent break. How about okay. That? All right. Does that's, that work? That's a good idea. That, that's yeah. Okay. That's so, you know, it's something to check into. Now, uh, might not be the case for everybody to refi. We've talked about this before a little bit, that if you're not going to intend to be in this house much longer, you know, there are going to be some closing costs, and we want to make sure we're there long enough to recover the closing cost. Or... Um, you know, it might just dollars to dollars just not make sense. But I think there's an opportunity for a lot of people to say, okay, what's the interest rate I currently have? What is my balance on my mortgage? And go shop quotes, go see what it is. And you can get your information on the table and say, okay, is it better for me, my family, my situation, and my cash flow to potentially refinance? Because Carl, I don't think we're going to see interest rates much lower or the opportunity to borrow money for something like our house this cheap in our lifetimes. That's amazing. And so does somebody go to their current lender? How do they look to find out what their rate could be going yeah, I forward? I think that's it. You know, lenders are happy to have your business. So if you have someone local that you know that you've worked with, they should do that service for you. They should get you some quotes. A broker can get you quotes from different lenders. I mean, there's, there's now tools online to where you can get quotes. Again, we just want to know, we're not trying to make a decision. We're just trying to get information. That's the first step in making good financial decisions. But again, I think the key of, of us bringing up this topic is, hey, that might be something we should research and look for, look into a little further. Because say I free up that $300 a month, maybe just maybe part of my plan, part of my retirement strategy, 
I have another priority or goal that that $300 would be very ideal to move towards that. So I think after the show is done and I, I get the bike out of the way, I'm going to have to go to the, the IT center here at the community center and start researching rates for the Jeffersons who I, I rent the mother-in-law. Hey, hey, maybe if you help them save $300, they might, you know, they might throw you a bone. Who knows? Know. Who knows? Win-win. Well, well, the other thing, the next topic that came up was this idea, this concept of we might just need to go ahead and, and prepare to celebrate our 100th birthday. 100th birthday. Now, you say celebrate in advance? Like, you know, if I was a, a young, dapper man like I am, I could celebrate now long before I get there? You could celebrate, but what I'm really talking about is one of the problems that's coming up is we're underestimating how long we're living in this country. Now, get this, Carl. There's more than 90,000 Americans who've reached 100 years old. 90,000. That's unbelievable. Have you, have you heard of this thing called Blue Zones? I'm afraid to ask, but no. <laughs> it's not like the blue man group or it's not, okay. not anything. so blue zones are these things around the world where scientists have identified pockets of centenarians people who live a hundred years or more okay and so they try and find out is it genetic is it food is it exercise and actually one of the things i was reading is the number one factor tying centenarians um, around the world together is movement movement right yeah, yeah just not being stationary so it's not diet Mm -mm. It's, it's not even necessarily some other lifestyle factors. It's people that stay. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pretty amazing. Movement. Yeah. So then back to these 90,000 people in the U.S. who are 100 and then, I guess, more. What kind of cake do you think they eat at that party? It's got to be pretty big. I mean, that's a lot of candles. You've got to fit 100 candles on that, right? Yeah. I don't think we do it by tens or anything like that. Now, I mean, if I get to 100, there better be 100 candles on it'd, that. Yeah. It'd be, and probably a fire marshal standing by. But, but on the serious side of that, uh, what, when, we're, when we're planning for retirement, when we're planning this life beyond our work, our career, and we're planning on how do we make sure our money lasts, I think knowing that that trend is going that way. It's going up. There's going to be more and more. When I used to do workshops 15, even 10 years ago, and I would ask people, how many people in this room have family, uh, people they care about or take care of in their 90s? Uh, a decade ago, it might be two or three people in a room of people. Now it's probably 70% of the room. People wow. are living longer. Wow. And that trend's going to continue. So I think it's a good, good idea that we start thinking, hey, let's plan this life as if I were to be that centenarian. We're going to live to 100. Yeah. So one of the things I saw in the news that was triggered by what you were talking about is this idea. I think a lot of people don't think through where they're going to live through their retirement because they're like, well, it might not be that long, right? Well, and I also, you know, one of the things I think there's a lot of, of transition thinking in retirement. Uh, when we're having that's a big SAT word. What does that mean? Transition, transition thinking. I just made it up. So, oh, okay, so I'm going to define it. Okay, that's great. The way I would in my head. Okay. okay. So meaning we're transitioning away from, okay, maybe our career is winding down. Maybe the kids are now out of college, out of the house. Um, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of things changing. So I'm thinking about this house that I raised a family in that might have a lot more maintenance, might be just that age. And I'm starting to think about probably making some kind of move anyway. And then if there's not ties that are keeping you right here, what might be some other places that would be fun, that would be fulfilling, that would be a good place to live? Well, if you're thinking about that, this article is perfect. It's from CNBC and it says, these are the five best places to retire in America. Now, I mean, the, these, I don't know if they're petitioning for this. I don't know all the data that went back to it, but it's a great article. 
And there's probably no surprise that four of the five top places are in the great state of Florida. In Florida. Yep. There's a lot of retirees in Florida. Yep. But coming in at number five is actually Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which is most famous for its Amish communities. Okay. Yeah. So, so I guess they want a lot of churned butter. You want to see some horse-drawn buggies in retirement. But I think it's also because the housing affordability, because houses in uh, Lancaster have a medium home price of $215,000. Okay. I was going to say a Pretty lot good. of it, I believe, is probably going to be tied to cost of living. Yep. And then you have Naples, Florida. You have Port St. Lucie or Lucie. How, how, do, you, how do you pronounce that? I've Is heard it Lucie. Lucie. Okay. All right. We're going to go Port St. Lucie. Um, one of the reasons for them uh, might be that as a sports fan, it's the spring training site of the New York Mets. So maybe you want to see some spring training baseball. You can go down there to Port St. Lucie. Coming in at number two was Fort Myers, Florida. Have you ever you ever been there? I've not been to Fort I've, Myers. I've never been to Fort Myers. Uh, also scored um, really high because of the, the level of health care, uh, you know, afforded there. And then coming in at number one. Sarasota, Florida. Another coming Florida. In number okay. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you knew this, but it's called the Circus City. Um, I don't know how they got that nickname, but they're ranked very high because, again, housing affordability coming in at about $227,000. High score for health care. And also, the median age is 52. And so, for a lot of people living there, they're uh, 30% of the population are 65 and over. So, there's a large community of people in that retirement stage of life. So, people who are probably thinking like you think in that stage of retirement. And you know what's been fascinating is you're going through some of these top places to live. Uh, and a lot of times, I think in my mind, I had living in Florida would be expensive. And a yeah. lot of those median prices don't sound that crazy. Yep. And if you're you're trying to think, okay, Florida's great, Carl, but I'd like to have some other options. Coming in, a couple of the other options in the top 15 are Nashville, Tennessee. Okay. Music good. City. Been there. Yeah. Great place. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. So you want a beach, but not in Florida. Go hang out there. Um, and then also Asheville, North Carolina and Ann Arbor, Michigan. Got it. Well, and another thing as you're reading through that, what I realized for the for the top five are Florida. So there's location, there's housing price, cost of living, but also I think a part of that too is Florida does not have a state income tax. Now, what does that mean? That means you're not going to have to pay tax on the money that's being distributed from some of your retirement accounts. Oh, wow. So more money in my pocket. So more you can use, right? Amazing. Well, I think that's it for In the News. I'm excited about our expert interview. It's Leslie Cuban. Leslie's a nationally recognized franchise industry expert, certified franchise executive, author, educator, and owner of FranNet right here in Atlanta. Let's call Leslie and talk about having a business in retirement and possibly even a franchise. Well, thank you for having me. Great to see you. Well, glad to be here. Well, let's just start before we we dig into some specifics. Let's just start a little bit about the the franchising market. Why you do it? Why it's been such a passion for you? And and you're not just a consultant of it. You've done it yourself. I really like that. Yes, yes. Drinking drinking your own Kool Aid, as right. they as they say. Yeah, you know, it's it's very it's very easy for me to speak very positively about business ownership through franchising. It's been not only my whole career, but most of my life, and. Uh, that began when I was very young. My my father, he like a lot of people I work with now, he had a good and long career in a big company at 3M. 
and was looking for ways to get into his own business, but he had never done that before. So his research led him to franchising. So I grew up in, in different types of franchise businesses, and that poised me to then get into my own business uh, with the mailboxes, et cetera, organization. Okay. A long time ago, that, of course, is the older sister of UPS stores. Okay. Now, and um, so it's been a great ride for, for me and my family. Um, what I see time and time again is it's a way for people to get in business who have never done it before. Um, it's a way to learn a new business with minimal risks. And I know we'll, we'll get into that, but it's a large and exciting world. And I really enjoy helping people learn about it and figure out if there's something for them. Well, I think, and, and I know we've talked about this in, before because I think it comes up and I think it's a good place to start. What are some, maybe some facts or some things maybe people don't know about franchising? And then the other side is, what are things you think people think they know that they don't know? Maybe that's the same sure. thing, right? Yeah. Maybe like yeah. myths. Yeah, that's a, that's, a good, that's a good way to open this door. You know, I, I find that franchising is a very misunderstood and often overlooked world when people think about getting started in a business. And I think what a lot of people don't know is that there's, just in North America alone, approaching 4,000 different brands wow. in many, many, many industries. You know, it is my, my challenge and my opportunity every day when people learn I'm in the world of franchising, they assume that I know all about restaurants. Right. And that I couldn't be you know, further from the truth, but, but, but food service is the go-to when people think about franchising. And that is certainly a, a large and visible part of, of this world, but my goodness, there's all kinds of industries and opportunities in services of all different kinds. Uh, it could be senior care, it could be mm. education, it could be home services, it could be business to business, you know, many, many, many different opportunities. Food is great, but it is by no means the only option that people have out there to consider. But, and it makes me that, that's the, okay, you think, okay, I want, I can't, I probably don't, I, I'm thinking about franchising. I don't think I'm that person that can go buy 10 chains of a restaurant. And, and so I kind of discount myself maybe. But talk a little bit, Leslie, about the range of, you don't have to have restaurant resources necessarily to start and, and participate in a franchise. Yeah. And I think um, it, it's very normal for people to feel a little intimidated right. by just, just the whole notion. Because, you know, most of us, you know, we got our education, which um, poised us to go start, you know, working in a company, you know, somewhere. And for many of us, this whole notion of starting a business, we, you know, it wasn't a part of our upbringing. It wasn't part of our, you know, vernacular. So it seems very overwhelming. And what people have to be willing to do is just to get started. And, and once they do, they'll realize that there is this pathway into business ownership that makes sense. There's a science to it. There's a process to it. Um, franchising makes sense for a lot of people because there is an underlying system already created there. And so they don't have to be the entrepreneur. They don't have to be the visionary who has this brilliant idea and is going to go roll the dice and take a lot of risk. So franchise, there, there are people who are too entrepreneurial for mm. franchising, but there's you know, a lot of us who just got a good head on our shoulders and want to be our own boss. And it can present that opportunity for, for people like us. You know, I so appreciate what you just brought up in that, in the retirement planning firm that I run, it took me 15 years and it was a matter of wanting to grow beyond what I was able to. It took me 15 years to actually formally 
bring in the right people to get the systems and processes down. And I wouldn't wish what I kind of that process on anyone. It was very tough and very hard. But I think that's a good differentiator because we've talked a lot on different different shows about a business. You know, it could accomplish a lot of things that are problems when the transition for retirement shows up. People are looking for relevancy. People are looking for connection, contribution in the community, relationships. And a lot of those things, we might not, those aren't necessarily all financial things or financial things at all. And a business can provide that. But I think you said it this way once, Leslie, was a, a franchise can kind of be like your business, but with some guardrails in place. Right, right. And, and that's what the systems and processes provide because even with any business, even the best franchise system where it's very refined and the playbook is very detailed, that all you or, you or I have to do is just follow the playbook, right. we're still going to make some mistakes. You know, there, sure. There's still a learning curve. But the the mistakes are minor. They're not ones that fatally drive us over the edge. So, you know, a good franchise system allows someone to learn how to be a business owner. Right. You know, for many people, this venture is their first toe in the water for their own business of any kind, but also to learn that business. So even though there's multiple learning curves going on, they're manageable and they're doable with those but, guardrails. And something else that, as we were describing the guardrails, there's something else you're not doing it alone, right? That company that you're, that you're franchising with, am I wrong when I say they want you to succeed? They really want you to succeed. Well, they, they need you to succeed. It's a vested as a, interest, as a, right? As a franchisee, yeah. And actually, this is another, you know, it, it, it's, you know, when you become a franchise owner, you're paying an upfront licensing fee. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that is a lot of money. I'd say on average, that's somewhere between Twenty-five to fifty or sixty thousand dollars, which is okay. not a small chunk of change you know, right. for anybody, you know, including you know people entering a new life chapter of retirement. Right. Um, and so it is a lot of money, but I think what a lot of people don't know is you know, the franchise company—they're doing well when they're breaking even with right. with that because it's very expensive on their end to create and continue to improve those systems. So. It is in the franchise company's best interest to be very selective and mindful of how they're growing their franchise system because they don't start to profit until new franchisees have been in business for a couple of years. So it's a long game. If you're a franchising company, it is a long game. So um, they, they need their franchisees succeed in order for them to have a long-term successful business as the franchisor. Well, since we're here on the retirement resource and a lot of who's tuning in here, Leslie, um, there's somewhere in this window, somewhere probably within 10 years of transitioning from their career and their working life, and maybe that first five years or so in retirement, we're somewhere in this this red zone, we call it sometimes. Have you seen, or, or demographically, are these good people, typically, it seems like they come with a, a lot of experience, maybe, and maybe some wisdom with 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 a life or with a career of 30 or 40 years to trans to transition into a franchise. Yes, yes. Um, s- soon to be retirees, you know, somewhere in a you know 10, 10 to two year window, let's right. call it, okay. tends to be the poster child of mm-hmm. who franchising companies are really looking for for some of the reasons that you just stated that you know, someone who's who's positioned to really thrive quickly 
in these businesses is, is someone who's got some business experience under their belt. You know, someone who understands leadership and problem solving and customer service, um, maybe some marketing and sales. A person doesn't have to be good at all of those things, but people who've been in the workforce or been living life for a while have typically learned some of those skills, which can be parlayed very nicely into the starting and growing of many, many of these businesses. So um, what we're looking for is soft skills. And I think this is another place where uh, people can get hung up on what their options are, is thinking that you have to have a lot of direct industry experience. Okay. And when I look across all the people I work with, it is a tiny minority of people who choose a franchise business where it's similar or identical to the industry in which they've been coming from, if they've been oh, employed. That's interesting. Yes. So that, that person who... And, and, and someone who's also... There's always some risks that you take with this. But the person who's really positioned for franchising is someone who has risk mitigation on the top of their mind. Because p- people who are you know, choosing franchising as a form of business ownership, they're really not big risk takers. They're really risk managers. And you know, people who are being you know, thoughtful about the decisions that they're making, you know, people who are you know, looking to create stability and security, uh, you know, not necessarily looking to take over the world right. at that yeah. point. Yeah, right. they've done. They've probably done their due diligence, their research, and they're making a very calculated move. Yes, and, yes. and that's retirement, right? That's when I'm dealing with the with the retirement planning side. I think that's what retirement is. It's we're modeling. We're we're looking for how things play out. If we do option A versus B, I'm sure it's similar with the different franchise models. Hey, maybe this fit versus that fit versus this fit would play out different and work better for you, your family, and your specific situation. So tell me a little bit about that, Leslie. Um, where does, how does the consulting role fit in? And, and you could even maybe pepper in some of the different examples of franchises, um, kind of the range. Uh, so say one of our listeners calls, says, hey, Leslie, where do I start? Is it, is it just a, a little bit of a survey, consultation? Where do we start getting that fit to see, hey, is there a right franchise or even if it's a right fit to do one at all? And, and yes, and that's really the first question of, right. you know, is, is this a form of entrepreneurship that makes sense for someone to be pursuing? Because it is for some people, but, but not for others. You know, right. there's, there's always the option of, you know, buying someone's up and running independent business mm-hmm. that is not a part of a franchise. Someone can go off and do and hang up their shingle and do some independent consulting. So, you know, franchising is its own form of business ownership. And we want to figure out, is it really the avenue for someone to deep dive their exploration? And, and, and we do have a, I do have a process for that. Um, it, it involves a discovery process up front. I have an assessment tool that I use that's a part of that discovery process. But it's, it's spending a few hours building a blueprint of what the right business for that individual would be. And it does take into account their talents and, and what they're good at, you know, what, what kind of time commitment they have or um, are willing to make to the business. Um, are they involving another family member? You know, sometimes, sometimes that's a big part of the goal is to uh, set up a spouse or set up an adult child right. to be successful in the business. You know, wh- what, is, what is their timeline of ownership? You know, some people are looking to do this for five years. Some people are looking to do this for 20 years. So, so these are just a few of the, the things that are, are issues to put on the table and start to talk through and try to give some definition around 
to create this blueprint or this matrix of the components of the right business for that person. We've got to do that first, but once we've got a good model going, that, that's when I know enough to be able to scout some specific business options for that person. And for, for a lot of people, there are several very different options, right. uh, different, different franchises and different industries that, that could check their boxes of what they're looking for. So it's a fascinating process. It would be. And you know what I like? There's so many things. So say in a typical scenario, and I hate to even say that word typical, but for most people, they a lot of their retirement savings has been built up in, in company 401k plans, maybe IRAs. And there's a lot of things you could do with that. There's a lot of ways you could use that money. I know some people get an itch to go buy a, um, a motor home, a yacht, maybe a yacht or a boat. What I like about what we're talking about, Leslie, is, is we're actually investing in an asset right, that can grow. It could pay us back for years and years to come. You said a legacy comment that I love. Hey, I could bring my adult children into this. And I have some, some clients that actually do that. Their whole family works in the business. And it's going to be part of their legacy is, hey, dad helped us build this thing that's going to be around with us long after he's gone. And I, th- I think that's powerful. And, and it's near and dear to my heart because that's how my father helped me get started yeah. in my business when I was in my mid-20s. And I didn't know anything about business. Right. You know, I, I had, you know, I had summer jobs and after school jobs and, and small businesses, some franchised, some not. Um, but still, I didn't really have a, a business head on my shoulders. But between the support of my family and a really strong franchising company, I, right. I quickly, you know, learned the building blocks of running a successful small business. So I really enjoy the multi-generational clients when I get to work with them. It's no, a lot that's, of fun. That's fascinating. And, and for anybody listening... You could think you need to learn it all before you start, like Leslie was saying. You could get a master's and a PhD in business, but I'll tell you, you're going to get more education that first year or first two years of actually plugging in and running the systems and running a business than any amount of formal education would ever give you. I think you'd agree, Leslie. On the job. (laughs) That's right. So we're talking specifically about retirement. So let's. I know you had some ideas about why us considering a franchise is that next step or that, that next thing to do in retirement. Because what I see anymore, there's rarely uh, cases, there's a few, there's rarely cases where somebody does a 30-year career and then just stops and they're done. I'm seeing more and more phasing down or, or stepping um, and transitioning into something else. Because really, one of the biggest things that's happening, we're just living a lot longer. Yeah. Yep. And, and we need things to do or we want things to do. So what might be some things specifically, because I, I love that, we're taking this broader topic of franchising and we're, we're applying it to this demographic in this transition. And in this transition, there's some issues and concerns um, that I think maybe we can solve with some of these, these ideas. So what do you think? Yeah. So this, this phasing kind of phasing into it approach, you know, I, I have seen that grow in popularity every year Mm -hmm. with with the people that I work with. And if if we think about it just age wise, there's a, you know, large percentage of our working population that has, you know, retirement in the, you know, they're looking at it, you know, into the, you know, near or not too long-term future here. And you're thinking about how can I stay engaged? You know, how how can I write my own transition story instead of it being written for me, which is something that we see a lot more these days, but not wanting to completely cut the cord. So, so what we see, and, and, and not all franchise businesses are modeled this way, but some and a growing number are what you will hear semi-passively modeled franchise businesses. Okay. And that could be in portable storage. That could be in, in hair care. That could be in 
fitness, that could be in a number of different service businesses where, where the franchise model is such where um, they've got the marketing honed, they've got the labor model honed. I mean, they, they really have a refined model where you'll be hiring some additional staff in the beginning, but it's the model is such where people can continue working for a period of time while they're getting the business started. Okay. Um, build up some cash flow, build up a, a team, a refined team. So that come you know two years, three years down the road, the business has grown to the point where someone can step out into full-time management of their business if they want to. But some people you know continue in their career or continue in their other business and just continue to treat their semi-passively modeled franchise as another form of income. So it can be either. I love that. I never I never really thought about that. Could I actually start this business while I'm in that last few years of work? And like you said, with, with some flexibility and, and some time commitment, it's possible. Yes, that's but there has to be some some time commitment. That that's where people that's where people can really set themselves up to have a problem. Is you know they buy the business, they just start hiring people, but then they don't have time to cultivate the relationships with those employees and not manage so, them, right? Yeah, and not and re, and not really have the eye on the ball. So I'm 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 careful about okay, how I, I speak it. about that. We, with people. we said yes, active. Or maybe, yeah, we're not we're not going to say just <laughs> passive. I got it. There's there's no magic uh, machine we can just buy that's going to spit money back at us. Yes, yeah. you okay. wouldn't hear about it from me if that's there right. was. So <laughs> let's this next piece we 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 hinted at Leslie a little bit, and but it's very near and dear to my heart because my job with clients is to make sure we're mitigating risk, and we get to retirement. And there's typically a finite amount of assets that we've got to utilize for our goals, our lifestyle, and make sure it lasts for the rest of our lives and maybe our family's lives. So that much more important of why we have things in place that are going to reduce risk of if I'm sold on this idea of I want to do a business after I, I leave my career, so to speak, that risk is huge. It, it can be right. without, without looking at the proper components. I right. think when someone... When someone knows how to go about this, I mean, there's no crystal ball. There, there's no one that can say, you know, th- this is what the future looks like. But gosh, you can do a lot of um, predictive work around that. And right. it's, it's one, one of the best things about looking at franchising as a form of business ownership is the ability to go out and talk to the franchisees who are already out there in that business. Um, there may be many of them out there that have been in business for a couple of years or five years or 10 years. And that's the best way that I've ever seen for people to get a really strong sense of what their experience would be time-wise, day-to-day operations, you know, financial expectations, is to go out and talk to the people who are already in that exact same business. Yeah. And, I, and are, there, are there mentor models set up like that to where you, you would be working or with, with somebody that could actually kind of coach you that's in the system or just depends on the business? Well, it's, it's um, in some form, the answer should be yes, in okay. some form or fashion, that it's, it's part of what you're paying those fees to, okay. paying the franchisor fees is to have a whole, you know, team of people help you start your business, help you find your location, uh, train you thoroughly, maybe train some of the initial employees you hire, um, help you understand how to market the business and and when to start your pre-opening advertising, as an example. There's a lot of nuance to starting a business that that strong franchise opportunities are are providing, 
in return for the fees that a new franchisee is paying. And, and sometimes that support structure is from other franchisees. Oh. I'm, an, I'm an example of that. So I am, am a mentor to new FranNet franchisees okay. every so often when we have a new office opening. That's, that's part of the deal is that I am, I am a paid part of the support structure that helps my, my new fellow franchisee get launched their first six months of business. So oftentimes, part of the support roles are filled by other successful franchisees in the system. Excellent. Well, and, and it, that topic of risk, that's why I kind of like, ever since we've been talking about this group, this franchise, what I was trying to get at earlier is we're, we're, we're probably mid-50s, early 60s, sometimes later. It's not like rolling the dice when you're 30 years old. We need to really be thinking calculated risk here. And, and I love that franchising has done a lot of that work between the support the systems, the processes, the proven model, I guess, is, is a, probably a phrase that fits. Uh, so I think that's, that's something to think about as we're listening to this. Am I mitigating all the risk I possibly can and still hitting my goals and objectives with this? And again, because it's got, it's got to accomplish a lot of goals if we're transitioning our life savings to the next phase. Can I make, I'll make a comment about that. Um, yep. the, the nice thing is, is, is we don't have to think about this as it being all your nest egg. Right. Um, you know, one one way to mitigate risk is to, you know, look at a business that doesn't cost an arm and a, le- and a leg to get into. And I think this is going back to our conversation about all the choices that are out there. There are many service-oriented businesses where you don't need real estate. You don't need to hire a lot of people necessarily. You don't have a lot of overhead to get the business started. Um, examples of that could be in consulting. There are strong franchise brands in leadership coaching, in uh, marketing services, in um, financial services. Well, not not your world, but in kind of right. you know commercial cost reduction services, so to speak. There are many home based businesses in education or in home services of different kinds. So that's a a great risk mitigation strategy is to look at a great business that doesn't have a high entry point. Yeah. Leslie, do you have people diversifying or, or do they kind of stay in a lane typically? Or is that, you see what I'm saying? Could you have one business and then add a second? Or do, you t- do people typically stay within one kind of family? You know, I, I would say most people, most people tend to expand within their brand. You know, they, they, got it. Yeah, they'll open that second or third location or they'll um, acquire another territory. And, and speaking of, of, of acquisitions, that is sometimes a nice, if we're talking about retirement, we're talking about exit planning mm-hmm. and all of this. With a, with a good franchise system, as a franchisee, you might have a built-in buyer for your business when you're really ready to hang up your cleats and retire, which is neighboring franchisees who are not yet ready to exit and would like to buy your business. No, I like that. So you could, your model could literally be, I'm going to build this for 15 years. And then the plan is, assuming things Make, make sense and work out to exit, cash out. I think that anybody looking at this should be thinking about their exit. You know, our, our friend Stephen Covey said it best, begin with the end in mind, right? Right, right. Because the, the thing is, is selling your business takes a couple of years. So it, it's not something that you just say, hey, I think I'm done. You know, I'm, I'm ready to, you know, pack it up and, and move to the beach in three months from now. Um, it, it does take a good you know, couple of years of advanced planning to really exit your business and have a have an attractive 
equity event when you exit your business. We are speaking my language. It's all about having a strategy, right? And don't be reactive. I see so many times in this country, people are addressing events once they're on top of them. Let's be proactive and stay a couple steps ahead of that. So great. Uh, I like that idea. Now, one of the things I love to talk about too, and it might make me sound nerdy, but it's asset statements and balance sheets, income statements and things like that. So let's talk a little bit about with the franchise. Um, I know there's there's some benefits to income that come from this. And, and not only that, it can actually help our asset sheet grow too. So speak to that for a minute. Yes, yes. And, and, I, and I don't even know that this is specific to franchising, Bo. It's just owning a business. Right. You know, this is, you know, there are, there are some nice tax advantages to owning your own business. Some things that, you know, are, are legitimately, yes, they are of personal benefit, but they can become, you know, expenses of your business. A, uh, a company car, as an example. You know, certain travel and entertainment that is uh, business-oriented, you can tack on some personal time to that. Uh, most of my vacations have also involved business in some form or fashion sure. so that I can, can write off a portion of the trip. And so things, things of that nature. But there's also, you know, your health care is an expense of the business. You, right. you can continue to contribute to retirement plans in your own business. And there's some you know, attractive options that people can have to continue to um, build their own retirement portfolio, you know, their, their pension plan that create for themselves or possibly their employees of their business as well. So, um, and in addition to that, you know, I, I think this is something that not a lot of people think about, but, you know, we, we want our business to create income. You know, we want it to, to create what we need, but going back to the equity part, you know, it can also build value. And not a lot of people necessarily think about that, that it's, Yes, about income, but then the business itself can grow in value, and when it's sold, you know, be a part of one's retirement planning. Right. Yeah. And and beyond that, so the retirement planning, and then we kind of we've also kind of touched on this, but it can also be part of that legacy. With with family, yes. Right. Right. What we leave behind. Yes. Um, I I this was just last week, Leslie. I was working with a family. And mom and dad that have run it for 30-something years now, they're kind of semi-transition to retirement, still have the health benefits from the company, still have the insurance from the, well, the, the 401k, the, the retirement benefits, able to participate working a couple days a week now. But the kids have come up and now they're kind of running the business as mom and dad used to. So it's really, it's really cool to see. And it'll live on long beyond them. And why we have numerous clients. Um, it, it is really interesting. I'm, I'm seeing more and more multi-generational clients every year where it's, you know, it used to be, you know, gosh, I've been in my business for 21 years now. And in the, in the early days, it was more of, you know, an older generation starting the business. And I'd like to have something for my children to participate in years down the road if they want to. The shift I'm seeing is now the parent and the child, adult child coming in together. I'm seeing a lot more of that where, uh, you know, a, a parent who is, you know, sunsetting their business career, their corporate career, um, and they have an a, adult child in their 20s, 30s. Right. And, you know, they have different skills. They have, you know, they've, they've grown up in very different worlds and they each bring, you know, benefit to the equation. So... It's really interesting to see more, more of a team effort from day one than it used to be, which is cool. 
No, that is the legacy piece. I think that is that is so powerful. So somebody's out there listening, and I think we've made a, a pretty compelling case that for for the right person, this might be a great move. Can can you give just some examples? Because I'm always thinking of when when I'm trying to do this, like paint a paint a picture of something, some just examples of the kind of franchises, you know, this kind of business, this, this, we hit restaurants, maybe four or five that that jump out at you, just so maybe some listeners say, hey, that might be some I'd want to further research with Leslie. And then let's get into um, how they get a hold of you. But any examples that just come to mind, maybe that have been big ones the last year or two? I don't know. Yeah, I, I actually, in, in preparation for our call today, I, I pulled a list just from August, just from oh, this good. month, okay. of, of some different kinds of, of franchise businesses. And, and the prior corporate backgrounds or current backgrounds of the people going into these oh, businesses. So, so we've, we've had a couple folks move forward with portable storage franchises. Okay. And um, someone, you know, a couple folks that came from the automotive industry and a, hosp- a prior hospital administrator going into that business. And that is a great, the portable storage business is a great example of a, a business that can be started semi-passively. Okay. Okay. So. And this, is, um, this would be like the, the movable. Yes. They go drop them at the house. Yes. Or the location. Okay. Got it. Yes. Okay. Yes. Which, you know, where, where you'll have a, you know, you'll have a warehouse, you'll have a forklift, you'll have a couple of you know, warehouse employees, a couple, right. a couple drivers. Okay. Um, a business like that is tied into the moving sure. industry. So we had a client uh, move forward with a commercial sanitation franchise. Mm-hmm. And that person was a prior IT executive with Hewlett Packard. Wow. Um, had a couple folks move forward with the pet care service franchises. Um, one was a um, IT leader in a financial services company. The other was a medical device entrepreneur. So the theme here is people are choosing yeah. franchises that are not related to their prior, their right. prior they're not, background. They're not lateral moves at all. They're different. Different. I like that. Yeah, we've had I've had a couple clients move forward with the home and commercial insulation okay. franchise um, that we're seeing a lot of lot of great momentum with. One was a sales leader in the apparel industry. The other was a, a marketing analytics um, management consultant. Wow. So very different backgrounds. Um, and and then you know we we have we've had folks just recently move forward in some senior home care franchises. I'm um, even into some food businesses. Interestingly, there there's some uh, food models out there that are not dine-in restaurant models that you know COVID has really had a, a negative impact on. They may be right. walk kind of walk-up models or grab-and-go models. So we're seeing some certain food businesses see a lot of traction. Um, junk removal. If you think about that, we've had several people. Um, that's a business that's seen a lot of traction in the last six months because we're all home and either right. getting things fixed or improving things or getting rid of things. So, you know, a lot sense. of these, these, you know, home service businesses have especially been really popular over um, these last six months. Um, they've drawn a lot of attention because the demand has really increased with people working virtually, educating their kids virtually. So um, these are some, you know, I'm not going to say universally, you know, businesses and franchising are, are, you know, experiencing growth, you know, some are really struggling right right now, as opposed to as a result of COVID. But gosh, there are certain segments that are having their best year ever, if you look. You know, and that that's always amazing to me how regardless of the market, even even in really, really bad scenarios or bad situations or negative media that there's 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 always those places and things that are thriving 
I was having a conversation with um, somebody at one of the the big home home improvement stores that that worked in, in administration there, and she shared with me their online sales are up four hundred percent right now because yeah. of what you talked about. Everybody's right. home saying, "Hey, we need to get all these projects done." Right, a gardening. I know a, a gardening company CEO that is having their best year ever by so a long that's shot. So wild to me. So yes, and all those things will be taken into account when when you do the consultation. So I think. Uh, the next thing to do, Leslie, is just talk about uh, you're here in Atlanta or you work out of the, the FranNet office in Atlanta. And if somebody listening wanted to say, say, hey, I'd like to discuss this further. Is there any prerequisite? I need to go online and fill out a form or do I just need to get on your calendar? How, how do I reach out and find out more? I, I would suggest let's just have a quick, just a quick Zoom call or, or phone call first. Like I think I can provide some good direction in a, in a short introduction conversation that I'd, I'd like to learn about the person and their background and kind of what has them interested in this. Um, you know, I'd like to learn a little about their timeline, you know, who else might be involved in considering something like this. And so I, it, it starts with just a quick chat. And from there, I can offer an appropriate next step, which, which might be some education. You know, there are some people who are really thinking about this for five years from now, and so there are certain education pieces that I would offer to them at that point. You know, other people are you know, really, really ready to start looking. And if that's the case, then the discovery process and the assessment tool that I mentioned is, um, is the best place to start. Sure. And how would, they, how would they find that or reach out to you? The website? Uh... What website is frannet.com, F-R-A-N-N-E-T.com. I'm very active on LinkedIn. So um, just look me up. I think I'm the... I'm the only Leslie Cuban that I know of out there. We'll Cuban put your LinkedIn on the show notes too. <laughs> so, but yes, I, I'm very active in networking on LinkedIn. And so that's a great way to reach out to me directly. But, you know, my, my goal today, and I have the notes to call this segment or this, this interview with you, Leslie, does a franchise make sense in retirement? And I hope my goal today was that between our conversations, some of the things we brought up, that we might have brought up at least an idea or two or planted something that might make somebody, somebody might have made a note that said, I want to look into this further. This might be something that works for me. I want to research this further. And if we did that, I considered our show today a success. And I think with what you brought to the table and all the explanation and, and the good insight, I think we probably did that. So I want to thank you so much, Leslie, for being back on the show and being our resource for franchising and especially having some insight to what we're talking about understanding that, hey, this is a good time to consider this in this transition because it's a big transition. It's an important one. And again, I just want to thank you for showing up and, and helping us out with some of these questions and, and thinking through some of these things. Well, it's my, it's my pleasure, Bo. Thank you for inviting me. I'm always happy to come visit. Man, but Leslie Cuban is brilliant. That was really, really amazing to listen in on. You know, I love when she visits the community center and shares with us this idea of franchising in retirement, I've seen it work successfully for multiple people now. Now, as you guys were talking, I did have the question because what, I mean, do you think it's viable for me to franchise a Chick-fil-A? And I, let me, let me tell you why. Oh boy. So I love Chick-fil-A sauce. Okay. I mean, what, what's not to love? And I love Chick-fil-A sandwiches and I love Chick-fil-A waffle fries. I'm not being paid for this plug unless Chick-fil-A would like to do that. But um, if I franchised it, I would lower my probably $120 a month Chick-fil-A bill 
pretty dramatically. I mean, does that sound like a good financial well, move, Bo? You know, one thing I like there, Carl, is you are at least starting to think about something you're passionate about. You're definitely passionate about Chick-fil-A, but if you listened really closely to what Leslie was saying, franchising is not a, a set it and forget it. It's going to be hard work. So if it's something that you're actually willing to invest money in and work really hard, then maybe we could go down that road. But that, that's not quite what I'm hearing from you. All right, so discounted I, fries. I, okay, so I got some research to do yeah, is what I'm we hearing. we might want to start at a little smaller, smaller franchise first. Okay. Well, speaking of people wanting to do research, it's time for In the Mailbag. As always, man, I love that song. So coming in this week from the mailbag, we have this fantastic question, Bo. It says, I am currently confused. Sounds like I wrote it. They go on to say, depending on which channel I flip to or which video pops up on Facebook, I get different answers on what I should do. Should I play it safe and put my money in cash or should I ride it out in the market? All right, so Bo, I'm confused. When they say ride it out on the market, does that mean like getting a new car, this person looking for a convertible? No, no, no. They're not talking about cashing out and buying a car. But I, I like where you're going. So this, this question's coming up a fair amount. And there's actually trillions of dollars right now sitting in cash because people are kind of nervous about not knowing what to do. And that's not uncommon that I will see money literally in cash or all in the market. And I think the problem with this question is the is the mindset, right? If we can just uh, list the listener that wrote this question, maybe if we can do a little bit of a mind shift and think of it's not either or, because this question is do I do I put my money in the bank and keep it safe, or do I put it in the market and roll the dice? Right? Oh, like, so you know, it's in the bank. I thought if they were keeping their cash, it was like under a mattress. Could be, but oh, okay. they're just talking about keeping money, keeping cash available. Got it. Okay. Got it. So my answer in most scenarios is you do both. Meaning we need, we have three jobs. So, so we describe this in a conceptual model called bucket planning. So here's where we're getting a little technical, Carl. Okay. So what we're going to do in bucket planning, we're going to have a bucket one, a bucket two, and a bucket three. Now, bucket one is going to address any liquidity needs in retirement. That is the cash money, the money I might need for reserve, emergency fund, planned expenses, things that might come up. So that's liquid money. Bucket two is going to be a little more secure and safe money that's going to meet any income gaps I have in that first part of retirement when I'm most vulnerable to market risk, sequence of returns risk, and interest rate risk. Okay, And then bucket three, that's that market money that what we're doing, this is the money we can afford to actually get the longer average returns in the market over time, but we're also not counting on them for a paycheck next month or next year even because the market goes up and down. And when we, when we get really clear on those ratios and we have the right amount of our total assets in liquidity, income planning, and growth planning, then we're confidently growing the piece that we can afford to grow because we have the time frame. We're protecting the piece we need to protect to make sure we have a paycheck and we have liquidity for those things that always come up in life outside of the budget, your liquidity bucket. So I think the answer to the question is, let's quit focusing on do I do this or that? And let's focus on what strategy, a comprehensive strategy that addresses all three buckets in your retirement plan is going to meet my goals and allow me to get the retirement plan that I'm trying to build. And this kind of ties into the thing you were, have talked about to us before in the mailbag about finding an advisor that can help you understand that bigger picture. 
Right. So the when you hear retirement planning described as products, meaning you should do these mutual funds or you should do this annuity, uh, a product is not a retirement strategy. A product is simply a tool. So what you want to be hearing when you're having these discussions is you want to be ta- you want to be hearing strategy conversations. We're talking about distributions and taxes. We're talking about estate planning. We're talking about making sure we're getting the best we can possibly do with our claiming strategy with Social Security. Now we're starting to put together all the pieces, all the puzzle pieces to create a comprehensive retirement strategy. And that is what we need to measure, right? It's not what mutual fund did the best last year, because if we go chasing that, it actually has a pretty highly li- high likelihood of doing poor the next year. So let's focus on the strategy and a successful retirement strategy will lead to a successful retirement outcome. That's amazing. Well, that's, oh, what's going on? Well, that, that timer means that I got to go move my bike. Um, well, that's it for in the mailbag. But before we end, friends, don't forget that we'd love to hear your question in the mailbag. And the best way to do that is you can go to askbo.com, A-S-K-B-E-A-U.com. Or you can go to Facebook forward slash retirement resource. We'd love for you to subscribe and share the content, but be sure to comment on there because don't forget, if your question gets asked uh, during the podcast, you get some free uh, swag from us here at the show, The Retirement Resource. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, yeah, my, my bike's being towed. Um, Art told me if I was more than an hour, he would tow my, my bicycle. What's the, is that a beeping? Yeah, yeah, I got to go. Thanks, Bo. See you, Carl. No, no, no. Wait, 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 wait. I'm here. Stop. Put it down. All right, guys. I guess that's pretty much wrapping up. Hang on a second. Hey, hey, Art. So, Art, this is kind of becoming a thing. You telling a joke on the show. Okay. I'm hearing you're getting some good feedback. Okay. What you got for us this week? Go for it. Did you hear the rumor about butter? Well, I'm not going to spread it. <laughs> wow. I just don't know what to say. Appreciate you coming back. And I do hope you did not run Carl off just to come in here and you tell your joke. Now, that's not cool. But we'll see you next week. Same time, same place, right here at the Retirement Resource. Retirement Resource Show is for entertainment purposes only. If you could call it entertainment, that Carl is the worst. The content represents the thoughts and opinions of Bo Henderson and guests of the show. If I'm being honest, I really think I should be the co-host. Before making any financial, tax, or legal decisions, consult with qualified professionals. Jeez. That was a pain. I'm out.